going on, everybody? Thank you for joining me for the weekend wrap-up with the Game Time Guru. This is going to be a weekly episode that I will, I will use to go over the events that happen in the sporting world, give you my quick takes, my thoughts on each of the matters. Now, I want to start off with a little bit of college football. We had Baker Mayfield making headlines once again, but not for good reason. You know, so he's caught in the Kansas game on camera. First, he's yelling at the fans, telling them, hey, you have one win, stick to basketball, which he had a right to do because they're sitting there talking trash to him and they're a one-win football program. Then he's caught on camera grabbing his junk and screaming at the bench on the other side. And he said a few things that uh, they had to blur out on his mouth because you could definitely read his lips. So here's the thing. Everybody's saying this is not something that a leader does. This is not something that a Heisman Trophy candidate does. This is not something that a, you know a future professional does. This is not something that you do as a role model. And while I agree with every single one of those things, I understand where Baker Mayfield is coming from. What people didn't really, you know, show as often was what happened before the game. He goes to, you know, do the coin toss at the beginning of the game. Baker Mayfield goes to shake the hands of the Kansas players, you know, the captains of the team that walk out to the center or sorry, middle of the field, and they don't shake his hand. So it was disrespectful right from the very beginning. So my question is this, what's more disrespectful, grabbing your junk and yelling at the bench or not shaking somebody's hand? And some people would say, well, that's obvious. You don't grab your junk and, and say something to somebody. Is it a little bit um, more immature? Yes. But is it more disrespectful? I don't think so. I think you shake somebody's hand if you're a captain of a team. Um, and if you don't, that's fine. But I understand why Baker Mayfield was upset about it. Not only that, but the Kansas players were taking cheap shots on them all game. I mean, basically it was football and all of us that have been in a competitive setting know what happens when you're in the heat of the game. So he got a little bit frustrated and, and he did his thing. What I love about Baker Mayfield though, is the fact that he backs up his talk with his play. And that's, that's one thing I wanted to talk about here. So should this hurt his Heisman voting? I don't think it should because the Heisman Trophy is for the best college football player, and I believe Baker Mayfield is exactly that. He has backed up his his mouth with his play all season long. He's been consistent. And I know like he's not like the typical pro-style quarterback, and people see him as Johnny Manziel 2.0, but that's honestly what I love about him. His competitiveness, he wants to win, and he makes his teammates better. He's out there throwing the ball for 300 yards a game, almost every single week and he's a Houdini he gets he makes plays out of things that you would never think he could like the pocket collapses and somehow he squirms out of there and he, and he makes a play out of it I think he's the best player in college football um, and I don't think it should hurt his Heisman voting or his draft stock I don't think people need to worry about his draft stock anyways I think that's ridiculous uh, I think it was the heat of the moment he's a competitive guy and um, I pretty much see him taking the flag and planting that for the Heisman trophy so on that Heisman Trophy discussion, it used to be Saquon uh, that was in the front running. Now, I believe it is Baker Mayfield, and I think it's by a wide margin. Unfortunately, for the running back position, you're kind of, you know, you're dealt a bad hand because of the fact that you do play running back. And as the running back, your job is to run the ball. But if a defense puts up a scheme to force your team to throw the ball, which is what most teams are doing now with Penn State, they're forcing McSurley to throw the ball. You really can't do anything as a running back besides, you know, protect your quarterback if they call you to, to stay in the backfield or, you know, catch a few passes from here, you know, here, here and there uh, from time to time. But 
as a running back, I mean, they're going to stack the box with eight or nine guys. It's it's going to be difficult for you to get more than, you know, two or three yards of carry. And that's what's happened to Saquon the last couple of weeks. Teams were scheming up against the Penn State squad and making McSurley throw the ball. Because of that, his numbers have not been as good. Um, Saquon, that is. So that's why I think that Baker Mayfield, being a quarterback, he has that op- you know the the opportunity, the ability to make plays. He can throw the ball. It just gives you a better you know you have a wide arsenal to use to be able to have better statistics as a quarterback. And um, I think that's why the quarterback position kind of has a an upper hand, if you will, when it comes to you know putting up numbers and being able to be flashy for the voters. Now sticking with college football. Something to keep an eye on. We had this really weak weekend of sports, right? This really weak weekend of, of college football in regards to the teams that these guys were playing because everyone's getting ready for rivalry week coming coming up. Two games I want you to keep an eye on going into next week because Ohio State just beat Illinois, beat them badly, which was expected. They were 41-point favorites. Michigan's coming off of a loss against Wisconsin. Michigan and Ohio State next week and and a lot of people are like well I mean besides it being Michigan and Ohio State why should I be paying attention I'm going to tell you why Ohio State has this outside chance of still making the college football playoff and they know that Uh, a lot of things would have to fall in their place they don't they don't hold you know they don't control their own destiny per se but they do have to win out and a couple things would have to fall in place for them but they do have this outside chance they could make they could break the top four if things worked out for them. So they still have something that they're playing for. What's Michigan playing for? Well, Harbaugh hasn't beaten Ohio State since he came over to Michigan three years ago. So this is their opportunity to take out Ohio State. And after last year's controversial fourth down uh, conversion that Ohio State made, um, this is going to be a big one. Uh, It's going to be a big game, a lot of energy. Ohio State's going to have some cool jerseys they're wearing, the wideouts. So keep an eye on this game. There's a lot to go with it. A lot of people are saying, you know, Harbaugh, if he can't beat Ohio State, he needs to get out of Michigan. Well, I don't necessarily think that. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the breaking deal for him. He hasn't had a quarterback since he's gotten there. Everybody keeps getting hurt or they play very, very uh, lackluster football. So, it's going to be a fun one. There are still playoff implications there. Um, Ohio State and Michigan, keep an eye on it. The other one I want to talk about is the Iron Bowl. Auburn and Alabama are going into this uh, this weekend after playing cupcake games this last weekend. Um, Auburn took on Louisiana Monroe. Alabama took on Mercer. Basically, just this little practice squad before they played in the big game. So keep an eye on this game because obviously it's going to have playoff implications. Auburn has the ability to take out Alabama, and then that would put Alabama and Georgia on Auburn's resume for their case for the the college football playoff. The reason I think Auburn has the ability to win this game is because they play a similar style of football. Not the same offense, but a very similar style of offense as Mississippi State. And if they were watching the Mississippi State game two weeks ago, Mississippi State showed what it takes to match with Alabama. One, you can't go in there scared. You cannot. You cannot go into the game scared against Alabama. They will wreck you. So Mississippi State punched him in the mouth and kept going after him. And you could see that Alabama was starting to, you know, bend. And that's why Mississippi State was able to, to keep up with them. The only thing is, is Alabama continued to fight, continued to fight, and then finally Mississippi State folded late in the game. Auburn's they got a similar style of offense at a higher level. And they've got a better defense than Mississippi State. So I think they can push Alabama to the to the very end. It's going to be a good one. Keep an eye on that. So college football is going to be really exciting after this lackluster week of cupcake games. Going into the NFL right now, I want to talk about the Eagles and the Cowboys. So 
the Eagles destroyed the Cowboys 37-9 last night. And what people think, so if somebody woke up this morning and said, wow, that was a crazy game. Eagles must have dominated that entire game. Well, they wouldn't be wrong in the sense that they dominated it. But it was it's a few things that you may not think. I want to give my take on this. One, that was one of Carson Wentz's worst games I've seen him play this season. He was not very good. In fact, in that second quarter, him and Dak were equally bad. That was obviously Dak's worst game, um, not only because he was getting rushed and having to run all over the field, but he was making some inaccurate throws everywhere. He had happy feet last night. But Carson Wentz was also terrible, especially after his first two drives of the game. Carson Wentz was awful. And sure, he had a couple touchdown passes, um, but that was set up by the run. The Eagles, I'm going to tell you why I think they are the best team in the NFC after watching last night, and it's not Carson Wentz. It really isn't. Uh, he impresses me with some of the plays that he makes, but it's not him that that sh- impressed me last night. It was the ability for the coaching staff of the Eagles to make adjustments at halftime. If you guys are looking at the score, it says 37-9. to Okay, that's great, but don't forget that the Cowboys were up 9-7 to at halftime. That's how poorly the Eagles were playing. The Cowboys' defense was matching with them, and the Eagles' coaching staff did something that the Cowboys' coaching staff didn't, and that was make adjustments. They started running trap plays every single play, it seemed, in the second half. The first two drives, I can't remember how many trap plays it was, but I think it was eight to ten trap plays, and it was just allowing the runner to gain, like they'd get to the second level so easily because the Cowboys linebacking core is hurt. We lost Hitchens last night. We already were missing Sean Lee. And so what was happening was they were pulling these guards, pulling these tackles, coming up to the second level and taking out the linebackers who weren't able to fill the gap quick enough. And then the running backs were just gashing them five, six, seven yards. And then they'd break a big one uh, every single time. Adjusting that and running trap plays, which they didn't do in the entire first half, showed me that the Eagles coaching staff is ready and poised for a playoff and Super Bowl run. Because Carson Wentz doesn't always play as bad as he did last night. He's been playing really well at a higher level this season. His receiving core, for one, is actually catching the ball. Alshon Jeffries is is actually catching the ball. Alshon Jeffrey was one of the best pickups I've seen. Um, he fits the squad perfectly. He doesn't drop passes, especially in the red zone if you throw it up to him. And that's what Carson Wentz wanted is somebody who could catch the ball. Saw it last night. Wentz threw a, a pass into the end zone. It was covered by almost, you know, two guys had it completely covered. A third guy was coming over. Alshon gets his paws on the ball and still pulls it down. Uh, he he is a good, good player. So the Eagles look really good. And in the NFC, you're starting to see things form now, right? And Unfortunately, like there's teams that go through injuries. The Cowboys are missing a lot of players. That's just how it is, though. That's the game of football. There's a lot of teams that are missing them. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers went down. This is one of the worst seasons for injuries that I've seen in a long time in the NFL. That said, you can't fault the other teams for playing well and staying healthy, right? You can't you can't fault them. So the Eagles are doing both of those things, staying healthy and playing at a high level and putting the right pieces together, adding Jay Ajayi from Boise State University. Yes, Um the the Ajayi trade from Miami was incredible because he's fitting that offense perfectly. And then Minnesota. Minnesota and, and the Eagles are taking control of the NFC. And what surprises me about Minnesota is the fact that they've had quarterback issues the entire season. They didn't know, you know, they had Bradford and they thought he was going to do well, but then he hurts himself. And obviously Teddy Bridgewater's history over there, he, he was gone and they already knew that. But here comes Case Keenum and he's out there slinging the rock and actually dropping dimes and controlling the games. Like he's looking pretty good so far and their defense is just killing it. Minnesota is looking very strong. Looks like they might take that division away. And 
you might be poised to see a Minnesota Philadelphia NFC championship sticking with the NFL real quick I just wanted to touch base on the AFC Buffalo Bills saga as you guys saw last week the Bills decided to bench Tyrod Taylor and that ended up being one of the biggest mistakes they could have done. Uh, Peterman comes in, throws five interceptions on 14 pass attempts in the first half. Tyrod Taylor comes in in relief of him. Obviously, they couldn't win the game. It was a little bit out of hand by that time. But five interceptions on 14 passes for the rookie. Um, a lot of people say, okay, I, I've listened to both sides on this. I didn't think they should have benched Tyrod Taylor. It was honestly one of the best seasons I've seen him play since he got into the pros. He only had thrown two picks, but he'd only thrown like 10 uh, touchdowns and the coaching staff said well the stats don't show the passes that he should have thrown when there was an open receiver I get that but the fact is is he was managing games and the bills at the time going into yesterday were one of only six teams in the AFC with a winning record okay they were one of only six the AFC is weak this year minus the top teams up there you know you got the, the Patriots that are always running away with it but they're kind of weak this year and he was helping manage the games now what you've done now what you've done is caused this dramatic quarterback controversy that didn't need to be there in the first place. I think that's an awful move, terrible timing for it. I can see if you guys were losing and you were out of the playoff race, but they're obvious like they're one of the six teams with a winning record. So and and we're more than midway pat like through the season. We only have like five, six games left. So it was just a really bad move in my opinion. I think that the Bills should not have done that. And if I'm Tyrod Taylor, yeah, I'm going to have a bad taste in my mouth. That sucks. I understand it's football and that's your profession. That's who's writing your checks. So you play it either way. But dude, that sucks. And um, I thought it was completely unnecessary. One thing I did want to say in regards to that though is Kean Fahey was out there telling everybody. He's a quarterback analyst from Ireland, and he was talking about this and how bad of a move it was. And, and he had the hate mail coming in, the hate tweets re replying to him. And I just have to say, he was absolutely right when it came to this because the stats proved itself. Um, I mean, it's really hard to judge off one game, but five picks on 14 throws, like, man, that was really bad uh, putting a rookie in for Tyrod Taylor. And then to finish up, guys, I just want to talk about the NBA. The only headline that even matters this week is Lonzo Ball, of course, because that's all that anybody wants to cover is Lonzo Ball. But he did record his second triple-double last night. And the Lakers fans are out there thinking this is good, right? They can't figure him out, but they think, okay, well, this is good. He's got two triple-doubles. He's young. Um, he shows his potential. The thing that bugs me about Lonzo Ball is the fact that he was always inconsistent at, in college. Like, he, he always was inconsistent. He had these games that were amazing, and then he'd have these games that were awful. It seems like he took off nights. And that's one thing that worries me about him in the NBA because you're playing so many more games at a higher level that you can't take off nights as, as frequently as you did in the, in the college game. But I will say this. I kind of enjoy his, you know, relaxed style of play. I hate the Lakers, but I, res I respect his relaxed style of play. And, I mean, he has an unorthodox style of shooting. But at the same time, I think that's actually really interesting. And if you can perfect your shot, who cares? If the ball goes in, it goes in. Um, keep an eye for the Lakers. I don't think they make the playoffs. And, in fact, I think they're going to struggle for a couple of years. I think they have this roster issue where they've got to make a couple of changes. And they should have probably done that two years ago. Um, and so I don't know what's going to happen with the Lakers in this Western Conference that continues to get more and more packed full of talent. Um, I really don't know. I don't think they make the playoffs. I think they finish 11th. And I honestly think the Jazz will actually finish ahead of them at 10 or 9. Um, I don't know if the Jazz make the playoffs either. But anyways, Lonzo Ball, 
the only ball brother that's making good headlines, records his second triple-double. Anyways, guys, this is my first episode of the weekend wrap-up. I hope you enjoyed it. Just quick takes from the weekend sporting events that I wanted to give my opinions and thoughts on. I'll try to do this every single Monday just to give you guys something to start your week with. This is the Game Time Guru. Make sure you tune in for the Game Time Grind, which is my Facebook Live uh, show that I do every Tuesday at 8 o'clock Mountain Time. And then Friday, my next episode will be dropping. I'll be talking with Bob Beeler this week. So if you guys are sportscasters and you want to learn more about sportscasting and radio show hosts and stuff like that, like how, how to become one of those, tune in for Friday. Thanks for the support and we'll talk to you soon.